Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Um, Go ahead and turn in your Bible to Joshua chapter 10. That's where in our our continuing journey through the book of Joshua. It's been a fantastic journey so far. I'll go ahead and tell you ahead of time, when we hit chapter 12, we're going to take 12 through 21 all in one lump sum. So please go read that ahead of time. And and the reason we're going to take it in a lump sum is because it basically says the same thing over and over, how the Lord allotted the land that we've been kind of chewing through. And so we'll kind of look at just what that means. It'll also be a weird day uh, because Dr. Jim Shaddix will be here. Um, Some of you have, most of you had no idea who Dr. Jim Shaddix is. Dr. Jim Shaddix um, was the mentor to David Platt and Tony Morita and uh, all these other, he's a professor. And um, so he's going to be in town. He's staying at the Crow's Farm and he decided to come to um, Safe Haven on that Sunday and said, Troy, I would rather hear you preach instead of me preach, to which I laughed and said, Haha, no, I don't think so. Um, so Dr. Shaddix is going to be here that day. And um, so anyways, just want you to know that that's some things coming up. But nonetheless, today we find ourselves in Joshua chapter 10. We're going to blow through this today. And I've got to confess something to you before we get started in this section Guys, listen, I did not see the theme of nearness coming. Um, That theme has continued to flood us week after week of what does it mean to be near to God. Have you sensed that? Have you felt that as we've journeyed through this together? This this theme, I I didn't see it coming. And every time I drive past the billboard that says, be strong and courageous, I look at it and I go, ah, (laughs) we missed the theme. Um, But nonetheless, it's... Be strong and courageous is, is a theme, but it's just cool how the Lord has taken us to what does nearness look like as an individual people group? What does it mean that we're near to the Lord? And um, it, So praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that we don't hold in our hands puppet strings to manipulate the Lord, but the Lord can drive us however he wants to drive us. So as we've looked at that nearness, um, I, I think this is what God's calling us to. I believe God is calling our church to pursue him in a way that we've never pursued him before. And that looks different for everybody in this room. And so I pray that the Lord's been speaking to you that in those areas of your life, God's calling you to fly every arrow that you have for his glory. Whatever the arrow is in your quiver, whether it's your work or whether it's your job or whether it's your resources, whether it's your time or whether, hey, listen, whether it's your children... Would we be willing to fly the arrows of our children for the glory of the Lord? I think he's calling us to that as a people group. What are we doing? And to pursue him in all things. And so that nearness is, has been flooding us on every page. And so as I, think, <laughs> as I think through that, this circle, go ahead and pop that up. You can go ahead and skip through that. Um, there's like a that little circle. There we go. Boom. Um, this, praise the Lord that this has popped up on every page. But nonetheless, this pops up in every chapter of Joshua so far. The relentless story of Joshua's nearness. Out of his nearness, the Lord will give him encouragement. Out of that encouragement comes instruction. Out of instruction comes his follow through. And that follow through brings him back to the nearness. That has been every single page that we've gone on thus far. And we've also seen what it looks like for when this cycle breaks with lax worship, selfishness, apathy, pride, whatever it is. And that tire starts to, you know, hit a bump every now and then. And we've seen how that messes with uh, the level of obedience. But nonetheless, as we think through that, 
When we obey the Lord, some things are going to naturally occur. And these are some of those things that are going to naturally occur. And, but there's more natural things that occur, which is uh, chapter 10 today that we're going to look at. <clears throat> these things are natural as peanut butter and jelly going together. Uh, these things are as natural as the Citadel getting crushed by Alabama. That's just going to happen. All right? There's no way around it. That's, that's going to happen. There are just some things that naturally are going to happen when we obey the Lord. And we see that byproduct today in the text that we find ourselves in. Here's just a snippet and then we'll dive into it. Number one, when Christ is exalted, exalted Satan is infuriated. That's going to happen. When you exalt Christ in obedience, Satan is going to be infuriated. Number two, when the Spirit leads you, that's quickly going to be attacked by Satan with one of his strategies. It's coming. Are you going to obey whether he attacks or not? And then number three, when God is glorified, Satan is going to howl in anger. Anytime God is receiving glory, Satan is going to howl. And so we're going to see this play out in this text today. Well, let's look through this. This is a fascinating passage. Joshua chapter... Have y'all read ahead? Y'all read ahead? Okay. okay. Some have, some haven't. Man, this is, a, this, is a, this is a fascinating passage. Here we go. Let's look at it. Number one, I'd say this about man's obedience. Anytime man is obedient, cosmic war is going to occur. And we need to be ready for that. If you choose to pursue the Lord in obedience... Cosmic war is going to occur on your behalf. So let's just look how this fleshes itself out. Number one, when you obey, Satan will fight against you. That's coming. And let me go ahead and paint the picture before we dive into the text. Satan is portrayed on TV as this red thing with glowy eyes, with the, you know, the little horns and the... Not pitchfork tail. A pitchfork is a pitchfork and a tail is a tail. But the pointy tail and the pitchfork. And he's walking around snarling, right? And he walks into the room on the TV show and you're like, there's Satan because you know it's him. That's not Satan. All right? Satan masked himself as an angel of light. So he doesn't come in with, rawr, look at me, you know. He doesn't do that. That's not him. He comes in subtly, and he attacks, and he slips into our mind, and he hits us with pride, and he hits us with fear, and he hits us with these subtle whisperings of, maybe you're not good enough. Okay, I know God's calling you to this, but maybe, maybe you're not the right guy. Maybe somebody else is the right guy. It's subtle. It's seductive. Number one, when you obey, Satan will fight against you. Let's look at how this played out with the nation of Israel. They go to obey. And I'm going to skip over some words, but just track along as best as you can. Verse 10, uh, you know where I'm at, chapter 10. As soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, of how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, the king of Israel feared greatly. Here we go. It's already slipping in, this fear. When God is obeyed, Satan is going to birth fear. He's going to fight. So he's already fighting against Israel. Because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities. And because it was greater than Ai, and all of its men were warriors. So you can see fear slipping in. Oh no, I'm going to lose my crown, the king of Jerusalem says. If Israel obeys, I'm going to lose my crown. And so fear starts birthing in. Pride starts birthing in. 
If Israel comes in and conquers, I'm going to lose the keys to my kingdom. When you obey, it's going to require you to lose the keys to your own personal kingdom. And that's when the Lord begins slipping in. No, no, you don't want to lose those keys. You don't want to lose that thing that you fought for. You don't lose that thing that you hold. And, and the Lord starts, and Satan starts slipping in. So he says to him, So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron. Uh, and you just have to trust me, there's five kings there. Verse 4. And here's what they said. Come up to me and help me, and let us strike Gibeon. For it is made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. So now we got not only fear, and now we got only pride being attacked, but now we got this mob mentality of, look, let's amass everybody against the nation of Israel, and Satan will do that. When you obey, he's going to slip in your head those subtle thoughts of, you're not good enough, you need to hold on to what you hold on to, and everybody else is against you. It's that subtle slip, and we buy it, hook, line, and sinker, and Satan just slips in. Now, here's the cool thing about this passage. Notice, the first king that is upset that Israel is beginning to conquer the land. Did you notice which king it was? The king of where? Jerusalem. Fascinating. What we have is a picture here of Jerusalem before Jerusalem became Jerusalem. When I say to you the word Jerusalem, what comes to your mind? Jesus, the cross, the death, the burial, the resurrection. All of those things had to occur, gospel prophecies that had to occur. So why on earth would Satan not just go straight to the king of Jerusalem and go, whoa, 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 the last thing I want is Israel getting hold of this land. <laughs> Because if they get a hold of this land, then the promise of the coming Messiah is going to occur. And so we see that suddenly slipping in. So now we got him attacking the king of Jerusalem. He's attacking him with fear and he's attacking him with pride and this scoreboard mentality of get everybody on your side. And what he's doing is he's attempting to distract the nation of Israel with an overwhelming foe. Has the Lord ever called you to obedience and the first thought that went through your head was... That's overwhelming. I can't do that. Anyone or is that just me? Just me. Okay. I don't believe that. It's subtle. The Lord calls you to do something. The Lord calls you to step out and, and, and minister to that coworker. The Lord calls you to step out and invite that neighbor into your living room. The Lord calls you to step out and use your resources for his glory. The Lord calls you to step out and to go on that mission trip that you got, Troy, we don't even have a mission trip on the page. Well, maybe we don't have a mission trip on the page because the Lord put it on your heart, but you're too afraid to lead it. Maybe the Lord calls you to do something and you go, I don't, that's overwhelming. I don't, I don't want to do that. That's the tack of the enemy. When you obey the Lord, be assured and rest assured that Satan's going to mount an attack. Why? Because that he doesn't want the Lord to receive glory. And so, number one, we see this. When you obey, Satan will fight against you. Israel's obeying. Joshua's leading the nation forward. They're obeying, and Satan starts snapping up. And he goes, you know what? You're going to do that? I'll get five kings against you. And praise the Lord, Joshua doesn't go, oh, we can't handle that. He keeps on going. So, number two, when you obey, Satan will fight against you. But number two, when you obey, God will fight for you. And this is not the hokey fight for you. 
of he's always going to give you your needs and wants, and that's not what we're talking about. When God gives you a specific call that you can't fulfill, he gives you the fulfillment to fulfill the call that he called you to. If you ask me to repeat that, I can't because I'm not even sure what I said. When God calls you, as the proverb says, he'll equip you. That's true. And so in this calling, he calls them, and watch what the Lord does. And you're going to see that circle play out again. Verse 6, And the men of Gibeon said to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Oh, I'm too afraid of all this. We can't go forward. It's not what he says. Do not relax your hands from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the king of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua got up and he went out from Gilgal. He and all the people of war with him and the mighty men of valor. Verse 8, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. None of the men shall stand before you. When you obey, God will fight for you. He'll begin again with this reassurance of your nearness and his calling on your life, if you're obeying what he's calling you to do. So, when the Lord calls you to do something, and the first thought that goes through your mind is, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have the right resources. I don't have the right tools. Or, if you're like me and the Lord calls you to do something, usually what I do is this. If the Lord speaks and he goes, hey, I want you to do this, my first thought that goes through my brain is, no, not me. That other person is probably more equipped for that. They're smarter than me. They're more holy than me. They're more righteous than me. They're better than me. Does anybody else do that? You're like, Lord, that sounds like a great idea. And I tell you, the person that would be good for that is Tyler LaFoy. <laughs> Not me. God, I, 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 that's a, that would be an awesome ministry. Kayvon should do that. And that's our first thought. And it slips in subtly because we don't believe that the Lord will fight for us. And he will. And he does. And he does in this passage in a crazy way. All right? Y'all ready to get to the cray-cray? All right. Because it gets bizarro. Here we go. This is the Lord God, the great I am that we serve, who calls us into obedience. Here's what he can accomplish. Verse 8 again. Do not fear them. I've given them into your hands. None of them shall stand before you. <laughs> so Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. This is a 20-mile march. This would take about 10 hours. So he's exhausted. There's no reason he should battle after this. But he does. Verse 10. And here's what the Lord does on his behalf. And the Lord threw them into panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as Ezekah and Medeca. I don't know if those are the right way to say it, but I said it anyway. And then the Lord begins to deploy weapons that they don't have. Watch this. Verse 11, and as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. That's good stuff, man. We come to the Lord and we go, I know you want me to obey but look, I've fashioned up this sword, and I'm not sure this sword will kill enough people. And the Lord goes, put down your silly, your silly swords that you put together. I own the rocks that fall out of heaven. I can kill more with hailstones, with ice, 
then you can come up with your schemes of manipulation. I'm bigger than you. I'm greater than you. And what I want you to do is not match my greatness. What I want you to do is just obey me when I call you to step out and obey and let me do what I do. This is funny, too, because the Canaanites worshipped Baal. Guess what the god Baal was in charge of? The seasons. He had the power over the hail and the storm. And so we see God Almighty stepping up and saying, You're false gods. Look at them. I will destroy you with what you think you worship. It's the power of the Lord. And he shows up and he fights for the nation of Israel, but he doesn't stop there. He does something even crazier. Here we go. I got a feeling I'm going to hear some about this this week from some of our intellectuals. Let's get at it. I think this is the greatest miracle in all of Scripture. That's not true. The resurrection is the greatest miracle in all of Scripture. All right, let's get that on the table. <laughs> okay, avoid heresy. The resurrection is the greatest miracle ever. This is number two. This is pretty powerful. Remember, when you obey, Satan will fight against you. When you obey, God will fight for you. If you're obeying a calling, not just the whims of your mind, that's the caveat. I hope you're hearing that caveat. Watch this. In verse 12, And at that time Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Son, that's the sunshine, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. So we know this is one of two times in the day. It's either early morning when you can see both, or it's dusk when you can see both. So the picture I'm getting in Scripture is Joshua knows that at high noon they've already marched 10 hours, and the sun will zap them, all of their energy. And so it's dusky, so there's a hailstorm that's just occurred. And so what Joshua's going is, we need this shade, we need this cover. Sun, stand here, moon, stand here. God, don't change this, we need you to show up and help us in this way. Is the picture I'm getting here. And so what happens? Verse 13. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. And Joshua knows that some people are going to go, that's crazy. How you, can you believe that? And so what he does is says, this is written in other annals that is not biblical. He says, if you don't believe this, is this not written in the book of Jeshar? Go look at that. And the sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. Verse 13a, and there's never been a day like it before or since. This is the Lord we serve. Why do I say this is a great miracle? This is just fun facts. All right? This is the power of our Lord. Because I do believe this is quite literal. I do believe the God who created the universe can also control the universe. I, there is some, could God have caused light refraction and eclipses and, and their appearance? I do think this is anthropomorphic language. I know I just lost a lot of you. But I do think it's anthropomorphic of a man's describing what's going on because we know the sun does not rise and set, right? The sun stays still nonstop. It never moves, but the earth spins. And so we do know from the language they're describing what's going on. And so it could have been all those things, but man, because of the way this is written and this literal stopping in the use of this Hebrew word, I believe this is exactly what happened. What happened is God stopped the earth. And you go, no, that's crazy. It is crazy. 
Because let me tell you what would happen if the earth stopped spinning. You ready for some fun facts? Here we go. If the earth stopped spinning, the atmosphere would continue. This would cause the winds to be faster than the blasts of an atomic bomb. The rate at which the speeds would continue. Because the earth stops, atmosphere keep going. What would happen if that occurred is the whole earth would be eroded by the winds that would come across. The crust of the earth would be eroded. Why? Because this would be at the rate of about a thousand miles per hour. It's the rate at which the earth spins. Imagine going in a car a thousand miles an hour. I don't care how fast your car is, it's not a thousand miles an hour. Imagine going and then just stopping. What would happen? So if this happened, the oceans would be in complete disarray. Tsunamis would begin to erupt, unlike we've ever seen before. And the iron core of the earth, and if you're looking at me going, Troy knows these facts, no, I had to look them up, right? The the, The iron core of the earth is what holds together a magnetic field that protects us from radioactive waves. So if this stopped, radiation would just befall us. Not only that, but once you stopped, your body would be a tumbling load of mass at this rate. 508 yards per second is how fast your body would be going. So all this to say, this is an amazing feat. And so we look at that and we go, you can have one of two options. Okay, well, that couldn't occur, so, you know, whatever. Or you can go, what I think the biblical text is saying is, if the Lord's calling you to obey, the same God who can hold the oceans in place, who can stop the winds from occurring, who can stop the earth and keep your body from hurling at 508 yards per second, can surely take care of that little thing he's calling you to obey him in. God, I don't want to go to my coworker and share the gospel with him because that just seems bizarre. What will they think of me? And the Lord goes, I hold the waves where they are. But God, my resources, I know you're calling me to use my resources for your glory. And if I don't do that, then I, I can't get my, my pool cleaned and I can't get my vacation and I can't get my whatever. And, and we justify, justify, justify. Lord, I'm not going to obey you with my resources. And he goes, I own the stars and the moon and the winds. You don't think you can trust me? God will fight for us because he has the power to fight for us. And so while our call may not be that drastic to go conquer Canaanite cultures, our calls, no matter what they are, are nonetheless just as real. So my question to you, What is the Lord calling you to do? And how is the Lord calling you to obey? And will you trust him? Are we a church who just touts the glory of the Lord? Are we a church who lives the glory of the Lord? Will we trust him in all things? And the beautiful thing about this is that great I am hears the voice of a mortal man, which is 14b. There never has been a day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned and all of Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Number one, when we're obedient, Satan will fight against you. 
Number two, when we're obedient, God will fight for you, and he has the power to do so. And then number three, when you obey, you will fight for God. You have a real role to play. This theme, too, has continued to come up all throughout Joshua. Because God is sovereign does not mean that we're apathetic. We have a very real responsibility and a role to play. In other words, the if-thens of Scripture are very true. If we do this, then will God do this, which implies if we don't, then God won't. Those two are not at odds. And so we see Joshua doing all kinds of stuff. In other words, God didn't just rest aside. Joshua didn't just rest aside when God called him to do something and go, well, God will take care of it because he's sovereign. He moved. He did all kinds of things. Let's look at this, and then we'll wrap it up. So these five kings fled. I'd flee too. Flee too? Fled too. These five kings fled and hid themselves at the cave of Makeda. And it was told to Joshua, the five kings had been found hidden at the cave. And Joshua said, roll stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard it. Notice the Lord didn't roll the stone. Joshua rolled the stone. Verse 19. But do not stay there yourselves. Pursue your enemies. Attack their rear guard. Do not let them enter your cities. For the Lord your God has given them into your hand. When Joshua and the sons of Israel had finished striking them, notice the Lord didn't strike them. Joshua struck them. Until they were wiped out when the remnant that remained of them had entered in the fortified cities. Verse 21. Then all the people returned safe to Joshua in the camp of Makeda. Not a man moved his tongue against any of the people of Israel. Well, I wouldn't talk bad about them either. Hailstones, sun stopping, I wouldn't say anything either. And so then Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me from the cave. And they did so and brought the five kings out to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the five kings, verse 24. And when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, listen to this, come near and put your feet on the necks of these kings. Then they came near and put their feet on their necks. Verse 25, And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed, but be strong and courageous. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. The Lord will fight for you if you obey. 26, and afterward Joshua struck them and put them to death, and he hanged them on five trees, and they hung them on the trees until evening. I believe that's just as literal. Verse 27, but the time of the going down of the sun, Joshua commanded, and they took them down from the trees and threw them into the cave where they had hidden themselves, and they set large stones against the mouth of the, of the cave, which remained to this day. As for Makeda, Joshua captured it on that day and struck it. And its king with the edge of the sword, he devoted to destruction every person in it. He left none remaining, and he did to the king of Mecca, just as he had done to the king of Jericho. Once again, church, we're letting the word speak to us. We're not interjecting our thoughts into the word. And so what we see is when you obey, Satan will fight against you. When you obey, God will fight for you. And when you obey, you have a real role to play. Did you notice how many things Joshua did? Did 
Did you see how many action steps he took in that last section we just read? All of the stuff that he actively engaged in. What are you engaging in? Will your Monday look like, here's my calendar, here's what I want to do because here's why I want to do it. Or will your Monday look like, Lord, what do you want me to do and I'll do it. Those are vastly different things. And the Lord is calling us to be an obedient people in all things. Will we be? Joshua didn't sit idly by. He was obedient to the calling of the Lord even when it was the toughest of requirements. Down to putting your foot on the neck of your enemy. Like, do you feel that tension? I feel it. Like, there's part of me like, God, if you call me to put my foot on the neck of somebody, I'm just not going to do it, and I'm going to lean on grace. <laughs> like, there's that side of me that's like, but don't get hung up in that. Get hung up in the point. What's God calling you to obey that you think is too tough? And will you trust him in that step? I jotted down several thoughts as the band comes back up. Here's what I think the Lord's calling us to do. I think the Lord is calling us to resolve to hear him like we've never heard him before as a church. Which is going to require specific prayer. Which is going to require community groups playing, praying like you've never prayed before. Which is going to require you praying like you've never prayed before. Which is going to require us as a church seeking the Lord like we've never sought him before. I think it's calling us to obey and to grow like never before. Not just to hear the Lord, but to step out. Do you keep hearing that theme in Joshua over and over and over? And to resolve to get involved in mission, not missions, activities, but the mission of the Lord like never before. Will you obey the Lord if he's calling you to baptism? Will you obey the Lord if he's calling you to start a ministry? Will you obey the Lord if he's calling you to a mission trip? Will you obey the Lord if he's calling you to tithing? Will you obey the Lord if he's calling you to open up your living room? Will you obey the Lord if he's calling you to spiritual disciplines, to study, to seek him? Will you obey the Lord if he's calling you to a conversation with somebody? And right now, somebody in the room is like, I don't want to talk to that person. I don't even know who that person is. And I don't know the Lord's telling you to do it. My question is, but will you obey? That conversation at the gym... That conversation at the workplace, will you obey? Joshua's people and Joshua could have said, we're tired. We're going to lock our heels in. Jericho was enough. I ain't doing no more. I'm not setting up this gym on Saturdays anymore. We ain't doing it on Sunday anymore. I'm not having that conversation with my family anymore. I'm not, whatever, will we go there? We could dig our heels in too. Or will we obey? Will we be true to the calling that God has placed on our hearts to share the gospel to the next person we come in contact with in Northport, in Tuscaloosa, and beyond? Will we do whatever it takes? We could dig our heels in the ground personally. And we could dig our heels in the ground collectively. But I think this calls us to go all in. 
so that we can continue telling the story of the great Messiah who came and stuck his foot on the neck of our greatest enemy, Satan. There's a gospel theme in all of it. And you cannot read this passage of Scripture and not see the gospel thread. As in Genesis was promised, there will come one who will crush the head of the serpent. And Joshua lays his foot on a neck in obedience, and it's a level of obedience, but that level of obedience could never conquer for us our greatest need, that being salvation from our sinfulness. And in that moment, as he presses his foot down and, and veins begin to bulge and people literally begin to gurgle and, and die away, that couldn't accomplish for us anything other than just a level of obedience for Joshua. And the beauty of the story is there's one greater who came, and the one who greater who came is Christ. And Christ stepped into the world, and Satan's veins were too strong for us. His schemes were too strong for us. The grasp that he had was too strong. And Christ came and he stuck his foot on the neck of Satan and broke it for all those who would believe and trust. And the beauty of that is we obey not so that God will give us trinkets and health and wealth. We obey because our next step is to proclaim to somebody else who doesn't believe in the work of Christ that Christ came, Christ bled, Christ died to conquer sin. And so if you're in this room and you've not trusted in the finished work of Christ, I plead with you first and foremost to obey him in that step. We're great sinners. He's a great savior. Will you confess your sin? Trust in him? And then as believers, will you follow through? Will you be all in, in all aspects of your life, for Christ's glory? Or will tomorrow look like I want what I want? Christ, you do your thing, and I'm just going to do mine. If we're going to be this, then we need not call ourselves a church. We need just call ourselves a club. But if we're going to be this, then we proclaim Christ died for this. And so we'll obey to keep telling this to the next person. How will we obey? Let's pray. So, Lord, it's so easy to think through all of the easy steps of life. You just get stuck in the mundane. I'm going to go to work tomorrow, or if it's Veterans Day, I'm going to grill some chicken and whatever. Or are we going to follow the steps of the rabbi? So God, will you lay aside in our brains that we just do what's easy and natural? And will you call us to pursue you with everything we've got, knowing that Satan will attack, but knowing that you will fight for us, and knowing ultimately Christ will get the glory. Use this people 
that you bled and died for. And so believers in this room, we have an opportunity to come to the table because the crushing of Satan's neck with Christ's heel, though it's free, was not free for him. It was very costly. And so Christ spilled his blood and he broke his body, his righteousness for our unrighteousness. So as you come to the table today, come in an attitude of worship, thinking on the crushing of Satan on our behalf, but that empowering us to obey. So come to the table in an attitude of worship, but also listening in a confession of obedience, Lord, where you call, I will go. Would you stand with me? The table is open as we sing and as we worship through communion. Lord Jesus, as we come to the table, meet with us there.